Welcome to FRT, the IF podcast on the intersection of finance, regulation, and technology. I'm Conan French, Senior Advisor for Digital Finance at the IF. And for this episode of FRT, we'll be discussing our new paper, which is looking at the digital transformation of financial services. This is number two in part of a three-part ongoing series titled Realizing the Digital Promise, and we've produced this with our partner Deloitte. Today, I'm very pleased to be speaking with two of my colleagues on the project. We have Dennis Ferenzi, who's an associate economist on the digital finance team at the IIF. Hi, everyone. Great to be here. And we have Puneet Kakar, who's principal at Deloitte and financial services strategy leader. Hello, everyone. Great to be here. So thank you, everybody, for joining us today. For this episode, we wanted to share some of the color highlights and a little of the behind the scenes thinking that went into paper number two, which we published recently. Transformation has really risen to the top of the agenda at many of our member institutions. We see the rise of new roles like chief digital officer and chief innovation officers in the C-suite at our members. And at the digital finance team, we've been focused on making sure that we have the right conditions for our members to succeed with data policy, digital identity standards, cloud policy, the use of AI and machine learning. Really, the transformation of the enterprise, the products, the services is an essential part of this path forward. So we've been really pleased to partner with Deloitte on this series. You may recall that we published paper number one, which looked at the top nine challenges back in February, and there was an FRT episode number 60 that looked at those challenges. So if you're interested, you can check back there. They identified both internal and external challenges, external challenges like investor expectations, data regimes, and challenges onboarding new tech partners, internal challenges like talent, the risk-focused culture in financial services, short-term business targets versus long-term strategy, and the regulatory burden. So this current paper, number two, looks at enablers to help us get past those challenges and barriers that we've identified. We'll also have a supplement that will look at the impact of COVID, which some have called the new chief transformation officer in financial services and really across the economy as we've seen the rapid transition and pivot to digital platforms. And then paper number three will look at the external issues that we've identified in the barriers and challenges. Today, we'd really like to dive into the context for these key enablers that we identified. But maybe if we could start off with one area that was really cross-cutting the area of customer centricity. We went into the project with a sense of some of the enablers that we expected to hear about, but one consistent cross-cutting theme was prominent in almost every discussion that we had, and that was putting the customer at the center of the efforts. Can you share some of what we heard in this project and some of the thinking that's coming in from your other strategy work with the clients that you have? Sure, Conan. Thank you for having me. In all our discussion with the financial services executives, most of them emphasize the importance of customer centricity. In fact, some see customer centricity as a key driver of digital transformation with digital technology and tools used to create a better, more efficient customer experience. You know, one of the chief digital officers of a leading bank mentioned technology sits at the core of digital transformation, but impetus needs to come from a customer needs perspective. As financial institutions are making the shift from being product-centric to customer-centric, I really think digital transformation is going to be a key enabler, especially if we think about the current environment and also the post-COVID environment. You know, one of uh, another chief uh, digital officer of an insurance company mentioned that, you know, digital transformation at the end of the day is about three things. Improve customer client experience, uh, improve workers or associate experience, and improve the overall economics of the business. Just to say this uh, notion about customer centricity and how critical it is for digital uh, transformation 
we are seeing across all parts uh, of financial services from banking to insurance to asset management, of course, with some nuances in terms of where they are in their own digital journey. And I think that putting the customer at the center is really helps define a difference between digitization and digital transformation, where digitization is just moving something that's existing, you know, current practice or process onto a um, digital platform. Whereas the transformation that we're really exploring and thinking about is how do you take that base level customer need or market opportunity and think about how do you meet that or serve that in a new digital economy? I think that that was an exciting sort of cross-cutting um, issue that we heard again and again. We also heard a lot about the organizational foundations that you needed to have in place for this transformation. And this may be a bit of a chicken or an egg area, but we're talking about things like having champions for the transformation, the leadership vision, creating a catalyst for the effort. So what were some of the stories here that stood out for you, Panit? In fact, when that was a great point you made, this difference between uh, digital transformation and digitization. Uh, and in fact, a lot of executives talked about the importance of digital transformation as future-proofing their business. But in terms of in order to get there, some of the key organizational foundation they are talked about is champions of change, having a galvanizing vision, having change catalyst, and enabling technology. In fact, commitment from all levels of the organization, you know, everybody mentioned, is a prerequisite to a successful digital transformation. But let me go through some of these points uh, a little bit in detail. In terms of champion of change, you know, a lot of executives believe that digital transformation is about more than just technology. It really offers an opportunity, as you mentioned, to reimagine the entire business model. But these digital initiatives can stall without the right support from the top, you know, without the buy-in and commitment from the top of the house, including the CEO and board. Extremely difficult to secure the mandate, resources, and the senior management attention required to deliver a successful business transformation. In fact, one of the chief innovation officers of a European bank mentioned you know, leadership commitment is essential. And if leaders don't believe in transformation, pretending to do so might not work. They really need to put the money where the commitment is. Moving to galvanizing the vision, we heard a lot. And, you know, I, I recall one of the chief digital officers of an insurance company talked about this. He said, you know, clear vision and communication should really cascade through the organization. You know, instilling a well-articulated vision can keep those digital transformation objectives in life uh, sorry, in line throughout the enterprise. And from there, champions can help lead the organization vision into personal goals. And I think some of those early success stories were interesting to hear as well, where to really convince their organization and maybe even external stakeholders like market observers, analysts, investors. Maybe it's an early project. We heard from one group about launching and partnering with Apple on an early iPhone initiative and another on Apple Watch and some others on projects with Amazon. So while they may not have been core, it was sort of proving to internal and external constituencies that they could do this too and really getting people behind the idea that they could play in this new landscape. Absolutely, Conan. I can't agree with you more. In fact, two other things I would mention. One is creating catalyst for change. We heard this a lot. Those high-profile moments of initial success can serve as catalyst for long-term digital transformation because then they show the rest of the organization what this can achieve, what is doable, and you know, how we can actually make a big difference. Uh, in fact, uh, one of the senior executives mentioned quickly proving the case for change and be able to deliver something quickly that demonstrates the benefit of digital is an absolutely great foundation for a transformation program like that. 
And the last point I would make is around enabling technology. You know, digital transformation relies on an open modular infrastructure uh, that allows firms to take advantage of developments in modern technology. But as we know, a lot of financial services firms today, they run up against legacy IT systems that are based on, you know, legacy platforms, uh, legacy infrastructure. So it may be necessary to replace and modernize some of that infrastructure before you can launch some of these big digital transformation programs. So that is another key uh, enabler in terms of having that as a foundation. Enabling technology is really sort of a foundation to build transformation on. Paper didn't focus as much on that, but when we think about that modern tech stack of cloud computing, mobile, digital identity, AI and machine learning, APIs, open modular architectures, you had mentioned, you know, these are all really essential starting points. So much of the transformation can't really move forward until this foundation is built. These, again, are critical elements moving forward. As we start to look into the enablers inside the institution, one of the first areas that we move to is talent, Dennis. And I was wondering if you could talk to us a little bit about what kind of talent financial institutions are looking for and how they're attracting it. Sure, absolutely. So executives told us that they're seeking talent with data, design, and technology combined with a business-savvy, hands-on mindset. There is, however, stiff competition for these types of employees, primarily from tech firms, resulting in the need for compelling and creative compensation packages. And while compensation is important, it's not all that matters. Today's tech-savvy talent is attracted by exciting projects, along with opportunities to work in cross-functional, non-hierarchical environments. They're also drawn to companies that have a clear mission and provide exposure to visionary leadership and top-shelf technology tools. All of this makes it not only difficult to attract them, but also to retain them. Several executives told us that retaining these employees can even be more challenging than the initial recruitment, as they typically also demand creative freedom, flexibility, and rewarding and meaningful work. One way to help address this challenge um, is to provide stimulating assignments and variety by actively rotating them to new areas within the firm uh, so as to keep them interested and engaged. Uh, It is worth mentioning that several executives didn't know that while it was important to infuse an organization with new and diverse employees, there needs to be a balance between new and legacy talent as continuity is important and too much churn can backfire. You know, a couple of the points that you you highlighted for us there. One, it wasn't necessarily about recruiting and identifying the talent. It was really about retaining them and having them be committed and develop within the organization. Two, it's not just that list of new skill sets that you had run through, but it's also creating the right environment for those new skill sets to really deliver and be able to execute on their capabilities. So along with that talent mix, culture of the institution was something that was essential. What were some of the defining elements of the cultures that the members that we spoke with are building? How are they going about this? Well, we repeatedly heard that firms interested in going digital needed to embrace new ways of thinking and operating. They talked about shifting away from a traditional culture of universal risk aversion and inflexibility toward a more agile approach that encourages smart risk taking in the interest of innovation. We found that the type of culture that's friendly to digital transformation is one that can tolerate a certain amount of experimentation and calculated risk. 
And we heard that one way to encourage acceptance of calculated risk is to demonstrate that experimentation doesn't have to be expensive nor labor intensive. As one head of innovation remarked, you don't need hundreds of people and millions of dollars to do an experiment. In many instances, experimentation can be done quickly, cheaply, and on a small scale. Executives also talked about embracing a test and learn mindset and quickly piloting new concepts with a willingness to walk away if it isn't working. While not always easy, financial institutions are gradually establishing cultures that encourage self-evaluation, asking the hard questions, and challenging the status quo. You know, that changing the culture to allow for some more experimentation, being a little more tolerant of risk, you know, I think that's a critical element that we heard again and again, that the you know, risk-conscious culture of financial services, which is there for very good reasons, makes it a challenge to move forward with real transformation and innovation. So managing the tension for those elements of the culture in your institution was another key takeaway. Gordon, if I may add something, I remember a very interesting conversation with one of the senior executives for a large uh, global insurance company. And, you know, and regarding culture, one of the things he said was changing the historical uh, mindset that experimentation requires a lot of people and money uh, to a culture that understands that experimentation can, experimentation can be low cost, right? You don't need hundreds of hundreds of people and hundreds of millions of dollars to do an experiment. So experimentation doesn't require that number of investment, but it requires a very different mindset. It's not so much about just doing an experiment, but it's about acceptability that we're going to do experiment and fail a few times. That even gets even harder considering where financial institutions have been. So changing that culture and mindset is, is going to be critical. And changing that mindset in a way where they can continue to maintain their prudential excellence while trying to transform and keep pace with new customer demands in the economy is a recurring theme and challenge that we've heard from many of our clients and members. Moving on from that culture, you know, I think another area that really stood out for us, Dennis, was the execution. What are some of the strategic approaches that our members and others have taken to execute on this challenge of transforming the skill set, the culture, and the institution? Sure. There are two main ones. Some companies drive digital transformation from within the organization, while others create ring-fence teams or even entirely new entities outside of the core company. Innovating from within typically involves experimenting with internal culture, rearranging teams for transformation, and redefining individual roles and responsibilities. It allows firms to build on the strengths of their brand and client base, and launch an advanced offering from the get-go. There are drawbacks, however, including the cultural inertia can slow down transformation efforts, as can cohesion among teams responsible for transformation of different business areas. The second approach, involving the creation of separate teams or even entities from the core business, can improve transformation efforts by reducing friction within the company. This approach can help accelerate the path from ideation to testing, minimize the impact to normal business operations, and enable the organization to more effectively scan the market for digital opportunities. Integration, however, can be a challenge as gaps tend to appear between the digital and more traditional parts of the company. Ultimately, the approach taken by a firm really depends on the organization's unique goals, its business and technology strategy, and where the company is in its transformation journey. This is an area where we've heard a lot of very different ideas, different approaches, conflicting opinions, and this is an area where I think we see a lot of trade-offs. Much of it may come down to the context of 
what institution are we talking about? Where are you in the path of getting some of those foundational elements that we talked about earlier in the customer-centric view and the technology stack? So I think this question of core versus ring-fenced approach is one with some very strong opinions. And I was wondering if you had any that you could share maybe um, on one side of the argument or the other. Of course, Conan. Uh, That's a great question. You rightly said there is no one model which is universally acceptable or universally winning model in terms of whether this should be. When companies think about digital transformation, should that be embedded within the organization or should they ring fence? What we have seen is some financial institutions have established distinct new entities separate from the core business unit so their digital units can focus on innovation. The big advantage is you're unencumbered by complex legacy IT infrastructure and you're sheltered from traditional KPIs. You're able to invest in longer horizon opportunities and be more, you know, focus on more disruptive business models. One of the chief operating offer of a leading insurance company who actually leads one of these ring-fenced organizations, you know, according to him, having a digital entity outside the legacy business was the most significant enabler for them, as it did not get sucked into the bureaucracy of the parent firm, and they got a clean slate to start with minimal distractions. But again, as we said, no digital transformation approach guarantees success on its own. It's extremely important for firms to have clarity that which approach works best for them based on their organizational strategy, their business model, market conditions, the stage of transformation they are in, and some of the other key drivers. Sort of where you are in the continuum of transformation Earlier on, it may make sense to have something that's a little separate, a ring fence, or you may want to just try and jump into the deep end a little more rapidly at the beginning, depending on the tech stack capabilities that you have, the leadership that you have, the buy-in that you have from your organization and its investors and board. So Dennis, we also heard a lot about getting the right headspace for this transformation. What were these executives talking about? Yeah, so this was a very interesting concept whereby a firm allows its employees to operate at flexible or reduced capacity in order to carve out the spare time and headspace needed to innovate. It sort of emulates Google's well-documented policy of encouraging employees to spend around 20% of their time working on side projects with greatest potential benefit to the company. The theory goes, if employees are engaged at full capacity, they may simply keep on doing business as usual without stopping to consider bigger opportunities, thereby leaving the organization vulnerable to disruptive market forces. I think this is a very interesting point, and I can definitely relate. When you're constantly jumping from one task to the next, you're too busy responding to -to day-to-day needs and don't really have the capacity to think about how you and your company can operate more efficiently or improve long-term. Pivoting now to the external collaboration, you know, we've talked a lot about what these leaders and executives that we spoke with are doing inside their organizations, but external partners are really key as well. Some people have said things like innovation at the speed of regulation. So one of the areas that we looked at a little bit in this paper, but that will be the main focus of paper number three, is how do our members and how do these financial service firms that are trying to transform their businesses collaborate with these external partners in the ecosystem? The landscape looks very different for financial services than it did just a, a few years ago. I think regulators and supervisors are much more open and interested in promoting innovation and change as they see the economy that financial services works within transforming. You see the rise of big tech companies having cloud offerings that are approaching sort of banking in a box and offering real advantages in digital transformation, but they come with some real questions about market concentration risk. 
and competitiveness issues between different sectors. You see a shifting and changing operating environment and arbitrage between different data regulatory regimes across different industries. You know, that question of risk tolerance and culture that came up before is very different when you think about a fintech partner. And so onboarding them and embedding them in the financial service enterprise, which has to continue to maintain those regulatory and supervisory prudential standards, can be a real challenge as you have entrepreneurs who are used to moving very fast, failing quickly and moving on again clashing with the culture of the institution. So that transformed ecosystem and how we work within it will be a focus of paper number three, but some of those issues are introduced in the paper here as well. Investors are an especially important constituency for this group, and that's an area that there has not been as much discussion lately. The disconnect between the short-term return interests of many investors and the longer-term strategic imperative to transform the business for a digital economy is a tension that I think many are just starting to deal with, and that's another area that we'll be diving in. Anything that stood out for you, Puneet, as we had these types of conversations in this round and as we start to think forward to paper number three? I think one of the interesting things, you know, during this process, which stuck out for me was, for example, engaging with regulators, right? You know, times have changed quite a bit. You know, in one of our conversations with one of the central bank board members, he said, listen, regulators historically have been disinclined to support risky experimentation. But that is changing now. And regulators' really focus is now on enabling safe innovation. Regulators have exhibited a collaborative mindset, and I would say even anxious to learn more. Mutual openness, as well as greater speed and agility, can certainly be beneficial both for financial institutions and regulators. And this collaboration between FIs and regulators can be an important ingredient for success in digital transformation in the industry. That was one great high-level observation. And as we wrap up this session, any other concluding thoughts on this paper number two? Of course, one of the things I would mention is that I do want to acknowledge uh, that the current environment uh, we are in, seeing some uh, major, major acceleration and changes in terms of the digital adoption by customer, uh, acceleration of building digital capabilities by FIs. What's happening both with financial institutions and customer is going to accelerate digital transformation in the industry. You know, as you know, uh, we are writing one of the supplement papers uh, around this topic. So I do want to acknowledge that not only that our paper will be coming in the next couple of weeks, but I think a lot of the factors and enablers we are talking about and accelerate, in fact, a lot of those mind shifts and cultural shifts, uh, not only from financial institution standpoint, but also from a customer standpoint. Well, thank you very much, Puneet and Dennis, for joining us today to give a little uh, background and summary on this paper number two. We look forward on the FRT for a couple of interesting upcoming sessions on data. We'll have Torsten Bunning, who's the CRO of Deem Finance in Dubai and had worked on some of these data questions as well at Standard Chartered. And he'll look at how the risks and ethics associated with how data has been used. We'll also be looking at those issues with Tanvi Singh, who's the Chief Analytics Officer at Credit Suisse. And then we'll be discussing the innovations in Islamic finance with Basil Gamal, who's the Group CEO of Qatar Islamic Bank. Thank you very much for joining us for this episode of FRT, and we look forward to seeing you again soon.